DanielBritt.com. I'm Daniel Britt, and sitting across from me is the voice of voices. Once you've heard it, you'll never forget it. It's Dr. Steve Brown. He's the author of a new book titled, I Was Wrong, What Was I Thinking? The True Confessions of a Screwed-Up Bible Teacher Who Admits to Extreme <laughs> Failure and Becomes Daniel. Genius. Here's Steve. <laughs> Take it, Steve. <laughs> It didn't say that. No, it's it's uh, things I've learned since I knew it all. Part of that was right. What was I thinking? That's yeah. And that's what people are thinking, though, when they read the title. They're going to think, okay, here it is. I knew he was wrong. He's going to admit, <laughs> and uh, and he's going to say we're not as free as he said we were all those I had, years. Uh, there was one interview with a guy that's a lot more uptight than you are. You are laid back. When he said, he said, well, how have you changed? And I said, I've become a Buddhist. And And there was dead silence, and I thought, he believes me. And uh, I had to tell him it was a joke and back up to get him to continue the interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's humor, but some people don't see it as humor. Some no, people, some we people, have Christians can be very, very yeah. sour. And this is a hardback book. There's, um, have you been waiting a while for a hardback book? Is there something <laughs> symbolic about an author with a hardback? No, I've had a lot of hardback <laughs> books, but that. But I think that's because Simon & Schuster bought the publishing company, and they've got yeah. more money than Howard did, so maybe they can afford hardbacks. I don't know. It's nice to have it, though. It lasts a little bit longer. And, and if you take the cover off, you know, then, hey, look. It, you, yeah, I know. Yeah. It's a very a very cool thing. You're you're fortunate to have me here. You know that. <laughs> We're sitting uh, in near Randy Pope's office in Perimeter Church uh, right by the lake in uh, in. Uh, Orlando, there, Reformed Theological. You've got a lake uh, near yeah, your home do. and near the school. We there, right? But but we have alligators in ours, yeah. and they don't yeah. in this one. I was reading the book on the plane the other day, and and I came to the uh, page uh, ninety one or so. I think it, it, it talked about uh, that we stay too long at the church house as Christians. Mm-hmm. We we linger too long there, longer than God would have us. What did what did you mean by that exactly? Well, as Christians, we really are here for them. I mean, I believe that if once you're saved, that's forever. Uh, you're his child. He never kicked you out. And the immediate question is, well, why don't you, why don't you just take us on to heaven? Cause we, cause we're here for them. There's so many people that need to hear our laughter, uh, to understand that the gospel's good news, to know what forgiveness is about. And you can't do that. Somebody said that. We're called leaven in the loaf, and what we become is a lump of leaven uh, when we stay in the church too long. So one of the things I did, I was a pastor of a church. We just built a new building, and uh, one of the elders said, you know, we have got to be efficient and make sure the lights are turned on. And another elder said, no, I think we ought to keep the lights off as much as possible, because every time we're here, we're not with them. Talk to me about worldly culture, and why is it good that uh, that Christians are just like everyone else in terms of their involvement in and support of worldly culture? That was a question that was that came with the press kit, and okay. I thought that, that's an interesting question. Well, the culture, uh, the, the the thing that Christians are involved is is every study that's ever been done is we watch the same television programs that unbelievers do. We go to the same movies and we listen to the same music. And there are some exceptions, but it's very rare. And uh, and and there are obviously Daniel places where we need to critique. We need to say that's something that uh, you shouldn't do. Here in Atlanta, I'm on the board of Victoria's Friends, and she's a former uh, strip club uh, coke addict, prostitute type person. She's married now and has two kids. 
as a wonderful ministry. But you know, you know, I can't say, well, that's cool culture. It's not. There's something clearly wrong about that. But too often, Christians are negative about culture when they shouldn't be. Because God is involved in our, if God's God, if he's the Lord of all, that means he's Lord of a lot of things beyond the church. And so our involvement in those things is simply looking for where he is. The statement or the scripture in the world, but not of it, that's always, that's always brought up during these discussions as a debate, uh, that, that we should almost like the Amish kind of withdraw and just do our own thing. The statement in the world says is a statement of fact. We live here. We live our lives out here. We know all kinds of people, and we have our fingers in a lot of pies. We're not of it because our citizenship is in another place. Uh, that doesn't mean that we should become monks or Amish or pull out of the world or, mm. you know, there's no place, Daniel, that's a hundred miles from any known sin. Because the sin's in us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the very well-known statement, and we were just, somebody told me the statement last weekend, so it's, it goes around a lot. Uh, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. <laughs> I once had a pastor say, just take out the middle part, the I believe it, because that's irrelevant. God said it, and that settles it. <laughs> what, what's your take on that statement? Well, it's the, it, the world is bigger than that. I, I mean, that's a simple statement that makes one feel good, but it yeah. doesn't settle it for me. I got a lot, you know, I got miles and miles together, so much other stuff, and, you know, you wake up at three, and if you've been doing what I've been doing for all my life, and you have any doubts, man, it means you've messed up your entire life. So, yeah, it settles it some, but sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes I have moments of doubt, but I'm still here. And I'm going to be here until I die, and then I'm going home. And I believe that with all of my heart. But just because I'm not sure sometimes when the Bible says things, I I need to spend some time with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and that's why doctrine is so important. important Oh, yeah, doctrine is very important. Yeah. And theology, systematic biblical theology is really important because it gives you the handles to understand it. Generally, when somebody uses that statement, they quote a verse, and then they use the statement. And the verse is often taken out of context and used to win an (laughs) argument. And it ought to settle it for you is the implication. The book, again, is titled, What Was I Thinking? Things I've Learned Since I Knew It All. Uh, Author Steve Brown, you recently wrote the book, A Scandalous Freedom. Um, Was that a... Uh, predecessor to this book, or uh, did you learn some things even since Scandalous Freedom? No, I think the scandal, you know, that's kind of tongue-in-cheek. Oh, no, well, it's not. It's a fact. You know, when you're as old as I am and you've just been sitting in a chair, you're going to learn something. And and I haven't changed, despite what the title seems to insinuate, I haven't changed the basic doctrines. I still believe the Bible is true. I still believe that... uh, that a, a virgin gave birth to Jesus, that a, that he's going to return bodily, that the dead man got up and walked, that the Bible is true, all of it. It's it's more in the application area that I've grown. Scandalous freedom is part of that, mm-hmm. uh, a part of those things that I've learned. I don't know if I could have written Scandalous Freedom to, 20 years ago. It would have been way, in fact, I would have been a critic of it. I would have said, uh, I'm not even sure he's saved or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, you're very, I guess you would say, orthodox in your views of Christianity, very conservative in that that way. So why, is, why does everybody think you're a 
a liberal wacko. <laughs> but because they don't understand that uh, methodology and orthodoxy are two different things. Yeah. You know, we one of the saddest things is that we take the truth and we package it in the trappings of dead white males of two centuries ago. I'm a mm-hmm. communicator, so and I teach communications, and I uh, wrote a book called How to Talk So People Will Listen. So I. Uh, and that means that I want to be like Paul and say, when I'm in Rome, I do as the Romans do. Uh, when I'm talking to those under the law, I'm under the law. If I talk to the Greeks, I'm Greek. Because mm-hmm. we have to enflesh the truth of the Bible. And sometimes we don't do that. If you're orthodox, you're sour and you're mean and you're condemning. You know, we run into a lot of that. I get letters from a lot of people like that. And And the packaging isn't what's in the package. What's in the package, as far as I'm concerned, is orthodox, very fundamental in terms of its belief. The packaging the packaging's kind of weird, and people get that mixed up sometimes. I was making notes for this interview for quite a while, and I've, I've come to a part here. Uh, maybe you'll know what I mean. If not, we'll just skip it. Hell is real versus spiritual laws. I have no idea what I was going to ask you about that. Does it make sense to <laughs> Hell you? Hell is real versus the spiritual laws. No. It may, maybe it's something I heard you say one time. I was going to ask I don't, you, but I don't know. I, I don't I remember. Yeah. Um, oh, Israel, though. And Bill Bright was a friend of mine, so the four spiritual laws is a cool thing, too. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was the, um, uh, the, the way of evangelizing. Do, do you befriend someone and give them the bad news of hell first? And then tell them oh. about the good news of the grace, or do you? Do you? Well, the, there's been a, a radical cultural shift. Uh, some people call that postmodernity. Uh, the the moder- modernity is where man is the central, science is the king, and uh, you know you, every problem can be fixed. Postmodernity is a lot different. There's some bad stuff about it, or whatever you call it. I don't even like mm-hmm. that term. But one of the things that is not a part of this cultural shift is authority and money and power. And for spiritual laws, you're going to hell is an insinuation that you, you know, you can be smart like me and you can know Jesus like me and you can be righteous like me. And that absolutely turns off our culture. Hmm. So the whole, for instance, the four spiritual laws, um, after 9-11, I spoke at Carnegie Hall right after that for a Encourage America thing. It was really cool and very sad. But Crusade was there with kind of a new version of the four spiritual laws that was a little bit less in your face. So I think we don't change anything, but we lead with story and follow with doctrine. And if we were living in the context of modernity, we would lead with doctrine, uh, e.g. the four spiritual laws, and we would follow with story. But we're still doing the same message. That's what you said about communication. Yeah, exactly. When in Rome. Yeah. Love the sinner, hate the sin. That's a quote that's also one of these that that goes around and around. Yeah. Uh, You say it's unbiblical. No, it's really not because we we use that to kill people, uh, to be self-righteous, to go, you know, I am my sin as well as my obedience. You can't separate me from that. Uh, and when you do, you dichotomize me in a way that makes me less than a child of God. So, and so I, you know, I have problems with that statement. Uh, 
uh, hate the sin and love the sinner is often I uh, I hate the sin and I don't like you much either. You know, it's just kind of a hard thing to do. Yeah, yeah. We're born with it, so there's no way yeah, to get away right. from it. So, gonna, yeah. That's exactly true. And it's such a pompous statement, you know. I, I never mind. <laughs> My friend Mark Lowry says, "Love the sinner, hate your own sin." <laughs> yeah, I love it. That's good. Um, let's let's go down uh, some historical roads with you as a person. Uh, obviously, you've you've got the voice for radio, and you had a history with radio. Tell me about your radio days, your radio training. Well, I was at a small college in the mountains of North Carolina, and I and I was doing laundry, uh, twenty five cents a shirt, trying to pay for. I didn't, you know, I'm not from a family had money, so somebody said, "Man, you got a deep voice. Why don't you go to the radio station?" And I thought, "Well, maybe." So I went over, and they hired me and trained me, mm-hmm. and that and that has subsequently paid my way through college and graduate school. It paid for two children, and I made a whole lot of money. Yeah, a lot more than I make preaching. <laughs> but the retirement plan's better with this one. Yeah, I bet. And then when I got um when I got ordained and became a pastor, I always thought God would use me in broadcasting. That there'd be a religious side I could use. Well, he didn't. In fact, he laughed. If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans <laughs> for 25 years. And then a friend of mine took a tape sermon and cut it up and put it on the air. Without my permission. And that's how we began Key Life. That's how that began. But it was, it was 25 years hiatus. And you know, Daniel, that when you're in radio, you never get out your system. Yeah. It's always there. It's in your genes. Yeah. You will never, they didn't tell you that, but you can't ever get, you can't ever do anything else. Or if you do something else, you always have a place in your heart for radio. Yeah. So you said there's a 25-year hiatus between radio and then coming back to yeah. key, starting key to life. religious radio. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so at what point did you stop the radio career and start a pastoral ministry? Well, I um, uh, I started at Boston, and you know, I went to a very liberal graduate school, Boston University School of Theology, and. Uh, I went there thinking I'd, because they didn't believe anything and I didn't either. <laughs> and then my wife got pregnant after about three months and I was doing a morning show. I was getting up at three in the morning, going on the air at five, uh, getting off the air at ten, uh, going to this class and then coming home and studying till midnight. And then, you know, you can't do that forever. I was young, but you know, even young yeah. people, <laughs> Daniel can't do everything. <laughs> so I just said, I got, I can't do this. And I quit. And I was doing a more, I did the morning show and, uh, and for a year I worked at that WAIR in Boston and, uh, mm-hmm. had a great time. And, um, a man who'd had a Sunday radio religious program, he'd come in to record it and we became friends. He found a church for me on Cape Cod. So during that graduate school education, this liberal student was a pastor <laughs> of a little church there. So that was the beginning, but I didn't know God in the beginning at all. And that's a lot what the book's about. I think yeah. it, it, it yeah. talks about your um, your personal walk and and what you've really come to realize as an old guy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, you get a great deal of critical letters. Uh, uh, can you think of any of the most bizarre, just way out there, so bizarre that it just makes you laugh? Almost? Oh, I've had people tell me they were praying for my death. I've had I had one guy call me and say, and and uh, the receptionist said, Steve. 
I hate doing this to you, but Kathy's not available, and this man, is, he's angry, and he won't leave me alone. Would you talk to him? I pick up the phone. The guy said, Dr. Brown, millions of people in hell because of you. And I said, cool. I didn't know I had that kind of power. And he said, this is not funny. And I said, well, you're out of your mind. And he hung up on me. So, you know, I get that stuff all the time. But I get, I get thoughtful criticism that sometimes is right. Yeah. Uh, St. Teresa said, or Mother Teresa said, bless those who curse you, they may be right. And, uh, <laughs> so some of them that way. And I get a lot of positive ones too. I don't want to be a whiner. Yeah. And then there's Tony Campolo. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if, if that's gonna, if you didn't have critical letters before, <laughs> hooking up with Tony is gonna sort of put a red oh, mark on your name. My beloved friend. Uh, I, I tell Tony, I say, man, you, 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 owe, you ought to put me in your will. I just, you know, I'm, I defend you all over the country. Tony's not what his image is. Yeah. He's the kindest, most gentle. We used to do a television program, and uh, he, this old liberal had, and it was uh, the producer was an atheist. A couple mm-hmm. of the 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 uh, camera people were gay. There was an agnostic in the booth who directed it. And during the commercial breaks, Tony's got his New Testament out, and he's sharing his faith with those people. I'm sitting there drinking coffee. And, and I thought, what's wrong with this picture? I'm the one that's right. He's the liberal. How come he's sharing his faith? He's a, he loves Christ, has a burden for souls, and loves people. And he's not as, and he does not believe in gay marriage, by the way. Yeah. People think yeah. he does. That was the New York Times. I called him. And I said, Tony, you haven't changed your mind, have you? He said, absolutely not. And then he told me the story of uh, how World Magazine had criticized him and said he went to a gay and lesbian convention and got a standing ovation. In fact, he got the standing ovation after he told them they were doing it wrong Mm -hmm. and it would destroy them, and he started weeping. (laughs) And they stood up and gave him a standing ovation. Wow, He's He's a good man. He really is. And he's made a difference. I keep bringing up the name Mark Lowry because you and Mark I really Mark. you need to hook up. Uh, Buddy Green. Uh, yeah, he travels with us. Yeah, he travels with you, and then he wrote the song "Mary." Did you know yeah. Mark? Now Mark, uh, Mark had Tony come to his place, I guess, in Nashville. Yeah. One Saturday, I don't know if you know about this. They, no. they sit down for six hours, and they just recorded with Mark's camera. Oh. He's had some video cameras, and on the internet, there's a show called the Mark and Tony Show. Oh, cool. And they do kind of. It's not a hashing it out type thing. It's not a liberal conservative necessarily. It's just some discussion. Mark has some good questions, and he poses them to Tony. And uh, I talked to Mark the other day, in fact, Friday night. And Mark said, listen, I've been to Tony's house. I've sat on his tacky furniture. This man is for real. I know. I know. He, <laughs> he, he really takes is. a very modest salary. And, oh, uh, he, it's he been practices. real all that time. And uh, um, and Mark, I, whom I like, obviously, up front. And I think I've met him at some of the Gaither things. Yeah. But he's a good man. And a, you know, he's a comic, but he's very, very thoughtful. Yeah, he's deep. The latest thing that Tony has, you may know this, is his, his red letter Christians. Has he told you about that? That's, no. that's what he's calling himself. That's, there's like, instead of, instead of going by evangelical, going by red letter Christian by, because of the red part in the Bible, uh, do it the way Jesus did and get away from the <laughs> committees. Um, you have him on your, uh, on your talk show a lot, right? Mm, I do. And, uh, do you find that people look forward to those times? Yeah, people like him. People, you see, that puts him in a different context. You know, they hear what people say about him, and they might hear him at a conference. Where, and personally, between you and me, I think is economics. I'm the only friend he's got that knows what Keynesian is, <laughs> but his economics stink, and his 
political views. He's a Democrat, and I'm a Republican. Yeah. And but uh, but if but they hear him in that way, you know, it's uh, I, well, you've heard that, and and yeah. you know, it kind of surprises people what he says. He just started a, a graduate program at Eastern where they're going to use entrepreneurial methods to build businesses in the inner city using the churches. That makes him a capitalist, and I've told him so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you uh, have very strong political views. I do. Uh, personally. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. How do you, how do you answer the criticism of, of people who say, and uh, you probably even stand up for this, you, you don't cross the church house with the White House. You, you make sure that, that there's um, – uh, you, you don't make Jesus into a Republican. Don't make him into a Democrat. So how do you? Because uh, I certainly Christians we're called to stand up for what we mm-hmm. believe in. How do you go down both those roads without doing it wrong? Well, I'm sure I've done it wrong, but I have, uh, as you said, I'm a conservative, and I laugh about it and say I'm so conservative. I think Rush Limbaugh is a communist, but I, uh, <laughs> I, you'd be surprised how many people in the churches I pastored thought I was a liberal. Because I went out of my way and see people stereotype conservatives as not being compassionate, not caring about the poor. I'm a conservative because I am those things. And I just think that more people are fed with capitalism than communism. And I think that's demonstrably true. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I try not to uh, engage in partisan political uh, positions. Uh, there are certain moral issues like abortion that one and poverty that one needs to take a stand on. And but but of late, I've tried not to hide my views, but always to make it clear they didn't come from Sinai. And uh, people generally accept that. Sometimes Democrats get mad at me. Uh, I said, <laughs> you know, a lot of evangelicals are Republican. I was at a, church, a large church recently, and I was going to say something good about Bill Clinton. But, you know, I'm not stupid, so I didn't want to, you know, I don't want to get all of them. You know, you said something about Bill Clinton, that's good, and, and you're going to get stoned in some places. Yeah. So I said, all right, I'm a Republican. I just want you to know that. And I wouldn't have voted for Bill Clinton ever. I'd vote for the devil first if they were running against him. You know, I said all those things. And then I talked about how Bill Clinton said after his trial, they asked one of the reporters to ask him if he was going to forgive, and he yeah. said yes. Those who need forgiveness must give forgiveness. And the text I was using said that God blessed that. And he's the most popular man, individual in the world. Mm -hmm. And I told the congregation, now you know. Well, the Republicans were mad at me, and there was one big old guy who was a Democrat I thought was going to kill me. And uh, his daughter was standing behind him and said, you didn't listen to what Mr. Brown said. Because he thought I was anti-Democrat and Republicans thought I was anti-Republican. So so I guess I'm doing it kind of right. I don't know. <laughs> How old is Key Life? 20 years. 20. Maybe a little bit more. And you started in Miami? Uh-huh. And then moved to... Uh, and the name came... We were at Key Biscayne, which is yeah. an island in the bay there. And uh, we... Key Life comes... That n- name comes from that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've heard you say that when you're dead and gone, you would prefer your your radio ministry not go on? Is that accurate? I said that for years, and still it would be okay. You know, I didn't call it the Steve Brown Evangelistic Association or anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and, and maybe um, people like my pastor, Pete Alwinson, is doing men's conferences for us all over the country, and 
and he's taking my material on in the Born Free Seminar, and he's teaching it. And there are a couple of women are going to be adapting it for women. Mm-hmm. And I have a number of employees that if I died tomorrow, they wouldn't have a job. So there's a sense in which the the basic teaching of key life, the radical freedom, the infectious joy, and the surprising faithfulness, those are good things, and they may go on. As far, and they may not. I mean, if I die, it may all go down, and that's cool. But it may be that those basic principles will maintain a continuing organization with younger people who would be doing that. Would be cool too. Yeah. yeah. How'd you first meet Pete Allenson? I know he's your pastor now, but how, where'd you first meet? It's really kind of funny. He was a pastor in Connecticut, and I got this letter. I was a pastor in Miami from this kid who said. I'm a new pastor, and could I write you one letter a month and ask you three questions? And I promise I'll never abuse it. Well, that's kind of heady. I was kind of ego-satisfying. I said, sure, that's cool. Yeah. So for years, he wrote one letter a month, and I'd answer three of his questions. And then he moved to Florida and became an associate at a church, a PCA church, which is my denomination close to me. And they they brought him in to plant a church. Mm-hmm. And eventually, in God's providence, we moved out in that area. And so now the young guy is my pastor. I love him a lot. Uh, and we talked about Buddy Green on these uh, conferences you do, Buddy. How'd you meet Buddy? Well, we were on a cruise together with the Gaithers. Where I was teaching and he was singing. And uh, and uh, that was the first time we really talked. And and. When I was doing this Born Free seminar, I, as you know, some musicians are very slick. You know, they do the screens and all the tracks and mm-hmm. the whistles and the bells. Yeah. Yeah. And when Buddy got up to sing, he just had his guitar and he said, hello, I'm Buddy. And he started, and I thought, <laughs> that is so cool. And it's so authentic. Yeah, it is. And that's what Born Free is about, authenticity. And so I, I asked Buddy if he would, I remember we were in a hotel at some conference and he came up to my room, and I explained what I had on my mind and what I was going to be doing. And he said, I'd like to do that. And we knelt down and bonded and prayed together, and and he's been a significant part of that. Uh, we'll use this part for the program when we uh, when we highlight okay. the Homecoming series. Um, I think you told me a story once that um, when Bill Gaither stumbled on this Homecoming thing that he was yeah, he, was yeah, he told me. Yeah, let me tell you, that's such an interesting story, and I didn't even, you know, duh. I don't understand <laughs> things a lot, but Bill called, and he said, I had some gospel singers over at my house last night. And and you, I grew up in the South, so yeah. uh, gospel singing was not always, well, sometimes you had to lock up your booze and your daughter, <laughs> somebody said. Uh, yeah, but, and that's not, that, I don't want to universal, that, that isn't true universally, but some of those quartets were pretty... Sure. And, uh, and he, he, and, and that's where Bill grew up. I mean, mm-hmm. he loves those guys, those men and women. Had him over for dinner and they were standing around the piano singing. And he turned on this little video thing that he had at home. He was so excited. He was coming out of his gourd. He said, you know, he said, they're, they've got a fire in their belly. He said, Steve, this stuff is so good. I'm going to, I'm going to put it on video. I'm going to, I'm going to sell it. Yeah. Well, who knew? Now it's a multi, multi, multi million dollar business. Yes, it is. But it started in his living room. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was your introduction to Bill and Gloria? Uh, can you remember? I mean, their music they came around. They, I, well, uh, 
they, um, I got a call one time when I was a pastor and they said, could we have lunch with you? And I went, whoa, Bill and Gloria again. Yeah. And I did. We had a very pleasant lunch. And then right after they asked me to speak for their praise gathering and I found out they're, they're people of great integrity, Daniel. I mean, deep integrity. And they don't have anybody at praise gathering. They haven't personally interviewed and known them to be ethical. And so that's what that lunch was. And so I've done two or three praise gatherings for them and, and the crews and I love them. They're good people. One more thing about this. Um, his success, because he's told me before that, uh, some of the singers, even the legends, uh, would sometimes go a bit far on stage in preaching or, or, or going too far with, um, well, we, we never drink alcohol or we have a great marriage. And he has to say, listen, you got people in the audience who are going through hard, hard places and, you know, yeah. they had to get a divorce for whatever reason and you just alienated that part of the audience. They, I think Gaither's, uh, he's very into ministry, but when he's on stage, you pretty much let the music speak for itself. Do you believe that's been part of his success? Oh, I do. And also his own authenticity. He told me about a time when he and his son got in a fight and it sure didn't sound Christian to me. <laughs> you know, Bill and, and Gloria are just the most honest people that ever were. And when Sandy Patty went through her stuff, they loved her and stayed mm-hmm. with her. And, 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 you know, that was not good. Look, if you're only going to be friends to non-sinners, you're in trouble. You're going to have any friends. <laughs> in fact, you won't be able to sleep with yourself at night because yeah. we're all sinners. Yeah. Or God would have sent a book, not his son. Right. Uh, I'm jealous of the way that you eat people's lunch when you go uh, head-to-head. And, uh, I mean, you're great at debate. And in these forums, like you've done Larry King, right? Larry King Live. Thank well, he was in Miami and he was a friend of mine, so I was on his program a number of times. Right. Uh, in those type of settings where, where you've, you're in a forum and, and you're up there debating maybe a liberal or, um, or a non-Christian or a Buddhist or whoever, uh, it's gotta be the way that you can bring the truth out and put it there plain as day and the term eat your lunch, you can really win an argument. What's been your favorite memory of, um, uh, of doing that sort of thing. Well, Larry King, one time on his program, uh, he was, it was a radio program. You know, he was with, he did the radio thing in Miami and television, then he was on Mutual, but he was, it was his radio program, and he had yeah. the president of the South Florida Atheist Association to debate me. And <laughs> this guy shows up with a thousand books under his arm, and I thought, you know, I'm history. He's going to kill me. And, uh, and as soon as we started talking, I began to realize that he didn't know what he was talking about. And by the way, we make fun of obscurantist Christians. Let me tell you something. Unbelievers are really obscurantist. They're silly. If we're going to make fun of people, they, they, you know, they don't ever read books. They don't know what they're talking about. And, and that's 99 and 99, 100%. So, so pretty soon, Larry, who's an agnostic, although he's making religious noises now that he's getting, oh, he's cramming for finals. Right. <laughs> but, uh, he would start to say to this president, he said, Steve makes a good point, and you haven't answered it. What are you going to say to him? And it, it almost appeared that Larry was on my side. Mm-hmm. And then I would have, this atheist guy, he had children, and he made his living by it, so I didn't make a fool out of him because I didn't want to destroy his means of living. But I could have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you read a lot. You're, I do. You're a professor at a, at a theological seminary. You've Got a couple of doctorates. I mean, yeah, but the doctorates are phony. Yeah. I've got them for talking good. I'd speak at a university or something. But still, you're educated, and, reasonably. Uh, but you speak in such a way. Uh, 
do you think it, it pays off? If you weren't as educated, if you weren't as read up and, and learned as you were, would it be harder to communicate what it is you want to say? I don't know. I've never been asked that. I, that's interesting. It makes you very good at what you do. Yeah. I'll tell you what, some of the educational stuff opens doors to places I wouldn't be able to go if it weren't for it. Uh, my mentor, Fred Smith, who's 93 and lives in Dallas, never finished high school. He's, uh, he's the wisest, most intelligent, brightest Christian I've ever known. He's been like my father. And still is at 93. So, he doesn't have a lot of education. So I'm, I'm not so sure it didn't just fit in your fanny in a chair and sit in there till you get the piece of paper. <laughs> right. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, you preached here at Perimeter one time and you used the thing, I ran away from kindergarten. Yeah. And the next day I went to the mail and in the newspaper the headline, Steve Brown runs again. And I sent you the newspaper headline. <laughs> it was and, another uh, Steve Brown. Yeah, it was, it was a yeah. politician or a mayor or something, but uh, it is it clearly because you had that. just said. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Uh, what was I thinking? Things I've learned since I knew it all. Steve Brown uh, is the author, and he's with us. And in this book, you've got some interesting um, chapter titles. If if you could only pull out one thought or one point from the from the whole book that was the most important, if if you only had time to talk with someone five minutes, and that's what you could give them to take, what would it be? If it's a Christian, it'd be self righteousness is more dangerous than I thought it was because I think it's killing us. I think. We are so arrogant, and uh, we're going to, um, and we need to recognize that we're beggars telling other beggars where we found bread, and that's all. Sometimes we're self-righteous about self-righteousness. Oh, me. We don't think that's the hardest chapter to write. You ought to try to write a chapter on self-righteousness without being self-righteous, man. You can't do that, Daniel. <laughs> The editors leave this book pretty much the way you wrote it? Pretty much. Uh, it goes through the process, but yes, um I write fairly fresh copy, so they, they'll straighten it out and they'll make suggestions and change some things. But it comes out pretty close. Final question, and I like to ask everybody I interview this question. How do you deal with criticism? I hate it, <laughs> but I never let them see me sweat. Um, I have friends who are really spiritual say, well, I get on my knees and I ask God to show me. Well, I do that too, but it takes me about a week. After I've prayed for their death, uh, after I've cussed and spit and been upset, how could they? Uh, and then I began to realize that I define myself not in terms of my securities, insecurities, which is why we're upset about criticism, yeah. uh, but, in, but I need to define myself in terms of God's love. And so whenever I get uptight and angry and mean-spirited because somebody criticized me, it's a good indication that I need to run to Jesus and let him love me. And sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you, you ask that question a lot. I, I've heard you in interviews, and um, one of our one of the programs, Steve Brown, et cetera, I called in, and that's the question I had for you, because you always ask it everybody else, so I finally <laughs> want to hear your answer, so that's cool. Daniel, you're very good at this, by the way, and Thank I've you. liked it. Yeah, it makes my day. Keylife.org. Yeah. Steve Brown, et cetera, dot com. Yeah. And some exciting things happening there, right? And Web's Key Life, I understand, is undergoing a web redesign, right? Yeah, now. we, yeah, we really are. I don't know how far along they are, but we have two or three guys that are given a lot of time to, to, uh, putting the web together. A new web design. It'll have the same things in it, but it'll be yeah. designed differently. 
You ever get on those forums and see what people are talking about? Never. I never have. It scares me to death. <laughs> they bring you up a lot. They bring oh, you if into I it. go in, no, no. I've got more bubble gum than I can uh, chew. But I'd like to. Yeah. You know, some of the guys on the forums went on a Smoky Mountain trip recently. Really? And they had a great time. Wow. So I don't know. I just don't go on them because I'll get, you know, I'll take, I, no, I can't do that. <laughs> Well, the book's available there at keylife.org. Uh, you've got DVD of the medicine show? Yes, you can get a DVD yeah. of the medicine show that we did. I think it was done in Nashville. Yeah. And uh, and lots of neat stuff. And keep up where Steve um, is traveling around the country. There you go. Steve, thanks for doing this. Thank you, Daniel.